July 23rd, 2014, and this is Eric and Ted's Ice Cream Social. I'm Eric. And I am Ted. Today we'll be talking about the NFL officials clinic that took place this past week. Seattle rules? It doesn't mean what you think it does. We'll also talk about the Red Sox second half of the season. Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Or is that light in front of an oncoming train? (laughs) We'll see. On this 19 players who have won a major since Tiger Woods last won his question is, is Rory going to win his career Grand Slam before Tiger wins another major? Now he only needs the Masters, which is next April, and we only got the PGA Championship left this year. We'll find out. Looks like according to Star Magazine, Tom and Giselle, Trouble in Paradise, or Welcome to Married Life, sucker. Show me the most beautiful Brazilian supermodel on earth worth over a half a billion dollars, and I'll show you an NFL MVP sick of her shit. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. So, everybody out there, make sure, please, check us out on Facebook, Eric and Ted's Ice Cream Social. Hit up our website, ericandted.com. Follow us on Twitter, at Eric and Ted ICS. Excellent. So, during the course of the week this week, we have a couple of things that we wanted to talk about. Uh, Eric, I got a couple of questions for you right off the top. All right, shoot, buddy. All right, you ready? Yep. All right, and I'm going to start you off with a softball. Okay, go ahead. All right. What year mm-hmm. saw the most points scored in NFL history? Softball sounds more like a meatball. That was last year, 2013. All right, all right. They're going to get progressively more difficult then as I go along. What NFL season, and again, these are all 32 teams, so no, I'm not. this isn't one team or anything. What NFL season featured the most total yards in NFL history. Total yards. Total yards. That'd be 2013, Ted. <laughs> it's like you did your homework. Sometimes. <laughs> All right, then. That's it. So I'm absolutely going to stump you on this one. What NFL season showed the most first downs in NFL history? First downs. Sounds like a trick question. Like you're setting me up for something. <laughs> now I know in 2007, Tom Brady racking up the first downs. Pretty serious. However... I gotta stick with 2013. In that case, you would be exactly correct. Of course. Now, interestingly enough, what we're gonna be looking at is we have uh, a couple of things happened this week in the NFL. Namely, the NFL uh, officials had their uh, clinic this week, and it took place in Irving, Texas. And now, conventional wisdom would tell you. Well, what is this clinic that you talk about? Well, the NFL, get- the NFL officials clinic is a place where, um, for instance, one of the key components of this clinic was NFL officials were told, in no uncertain terms, you better get in better physical condition to take care of Chip Kelly's offense. That's <laughs> not a joke. Like, <laughs> one of the things right off the top was, look, you have some rookies coming in. Uh, we're all here. A lot of the older guys... You know, 30-year veterans, 33-year veterans are starting to get phased out a little bit. They're bringing in younger guys. As a matter of fact, the, uh, the referee from last year's Rose Bowl is now a referee, not a line judge, not a back judge, not a field judge, a referee with his own crew. He's a rookie, and he's a referee now. He's a young guy, 
but every single game in the NFL is the Rose Bowl. So it's true. They brought this guy in. They gave him his own crew, and it's a seasoned crew. So you know they're hoping for the best for him. So this is a place where officials meet, talk about the coming season, talk about some possible rules that need to be enforced a little bit tighter. Oh, what are they changing rules again, Ted? No, they're not changing the rules because again, that important to note that that does take place with the owners meeting. The owners are the ones that have to make that decision. That's what I thought. I didn't hear anything. So okay, okay. now. With what you just talked about, with the field obviously slanted in the direction of the offense last year, what do you think the officials talked about as far as rules enforcement for this year coming up? Okay. Uh, I got to say, logic dictates that maybe they give a little bit more power back to the secondary that they've been stripping away over the years. I mean, you're talking about records falling, records breaking. Mm-hmm. So maybe they give a little bit back to the secondary, help them out a little bit. That's what I'm thinking. Your thinking is sound. Thank you. You are in the right church. Of course. You are in the wrong pew. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold the phone. Let me go over four important things that were discussed this week in the NFL officials clinic. Yeah. Now, number one, kind of an important one here. Officials can now re- uh, review recovery of a loose ball. That's something they were not allowed to do in the past. That's good. I like that. I like that, too. One of the examples that they used at this meeting was the NFL championship game in San Francisco. Linebacker Navarro Bowman. Yep. He stripped the ball from a Seattle receiver. Yep. Clearly created the ball on the ground inside the 49ers five-yard line. But officials did not see the ball. Uh, they did not see that before the ball wound up in the pileup. Seattle came out with the ball. And a touchdown. And a touchdown. All right, perfect. Now, it's important. I like the fact that they are going to make that. Like, you know, I hate when they have replay and the answer is, sorry. Yeah, yeah, whoops. What, we whoops. can't look yeah, at that. We can't look at it. I know I screwed up, but <laughs> yeah, I can't do it. Now, next, an important one, roll-up blocks from the side. This, is, this kind of goes back. We had, you know, one of the things that we wanted to talk about today was a little bit about Sidney Rice, yes. uh, a couple of other you know, player health. I don't know if it's my age or maybe my social consciousness or anything, but player health has become something that I've started to really focus on a little bit more. Roll-up blocks from the side of players are going to be categorized as clipping and be penalized 15 yards. Now, you it, talk about a player's legs, you talk about their future, their career. The livelihood, huge, absolutely. Okay. Now, uh, and again, I'm I'm actually reading this directly from an article on USA Today. Uh, the story uh, featured in the sports page, uh, and the headline was the NFL's double rookie with debut. And uh, but this is one of the points in the article. Uh, roll up blocks from the side of the player were categorized will be categorized as clipping and penalized 15 yards. And in the past, only blocks from behind that rolled up on the back of a defender were considered penalties. I like that. Okay. Now. For the standing rule that pass interference applies for more than one yard beyond the line of scrimmage. This is kind of important. One of the officials said a yard is a yard to call it tight. Now, this is kind of a little bit confusing, and I'm going to explain what they mean here. Um, A yard is a yard. But on a bubble screen or on a screen pass out to a wide receiver, okay, pass interference takes place one yard beyond the line of scrimmage. That's when pass interference can actually be called as a penalty. Well, pass interference was actually being called 
when a guy five yards down no interestingly enough when a guy was standing at directly at the line of scrimmage yeah. and he went to go catch a screen you know those tom brady yeah yeah the quick know, screens yeah absolutely quick screens. why receive a quick screen okay if a cornerback reads that and comes up and makes contact before the ball gets there they've been they they've been they've been calling that okay okay i didn't notice it too much last year but i agree with you but what they are now going to do is is basically they're going to allow that to take place because it only ta- a pass interference is a yard after the line of scrimmage. Yeah. So now, very important point to make here, and this goes back to what you led with. This goes back to what you led with early on. S- several clips were shown of defenders grabbing jerseys while receivers were running down the field before the ball was in the air. Now you say defenders. Guys on the defense. So not the wide receivers who scratch and claw. This is all this is all on the defenders. Now, nobody's mentioned the filthy pick and roll. Pick and roll <laughs> offense that Denver runs. Oh, the, yeah. the Patriots have had great yeah, success Patriots, with it, absolutely. too. Absolutely. But the Denver Broncos Listen, are a little bit nasty. The NFL changed a rule. They call it the Michael Irvin rule. When Back in the early 90s, when Michael Irvin used to push off all the time, when he used to make his 5-yard his out, 10-yard out, 12-yard out, Michael Irvin would make contact with a defensive back. And they said, Michael Irvin rule, you can't do that. It's offensive pass interference. Now... Several clips were shown of defenders grabbing jerseys while running down the field before the ball was in the air. Teams are being reminded of defensive holdings Mm -hmm. and plans are now in place to closely enforce this foul. Okay, call me crazy. You're crazy. Uh, That's fine. But wait until I make my point. (laughs) So, over the last... I'm going to call it three or four years, okay? I don't want to, you know, get sure. too far back. I, I got you. I have noticed a steady increase, bogus or not, mm-hmm. of defensive holding calls and pass, and defensive pass interference calls. You have seen I've seen those increase. continue to rise, to rise, to rise. You have. So now you're telling me, you're sitting there across from the table from me, telling me yeah. that they are going to step it up as if they're lacking in making these calls? This is where we get back to our open when we were talking about specifically the term Seattle rules. Yes. I walk down the street right now in, in any city, USA. No, well, we are in Rhode Island, so let's keep it local. Sir. All right, so let's stay You're in, walking in let's Rhode stay Island. In New You're England. walking on Atwell's. Okay. And I say, Seattle rules. What's the first thing somebody's going to say to me? Go back to Seattle, you freaking jamoke. Okay, all right. Okay. Tom Brady. Tom Brady. That's what, that's what you're going to hear. Okay. That's what all you're right. going to hear. Uh, 12th the man. The Patriot way. Screw you, 12th man. Rod, Patriot way. All right, all right. But no, in all seriousness, Seattle rules. Yes, because they won the Super Bowl and they're great. Great. Okay. The actual twist in that now is the Seattle defense is... Too dominant? Uh, uh, Must you know, be. What was... 14-point Super Bowl, 17-point Super Bowls. Do you think the NFL can have that? Of course not. Of course not. Well, they can't have their their, their Super Bowls being won by a loudmouth, cocky young team over old faithful Peyton Manning. That's not the outcome that the NFL wanted. Okay. 
That's exactly. I don't know if it's necessarily the outcome they want. No, no, I, I'm with you. I, I, they, I, I think more than that specifically, they wanted a high-scoring arena football affair. Yep. Okay. They wanted an arena football. They affair. wanted the greatest show on turf. Times you five. Know, yeah. Exactly. Okay. And so what what we are in, and we have seen this time after time after time. What's one of the things that offenses are doing across the board right now? Two big, two big powerful tight ends. Tight ends. Thank you. Physical. Fast. Why? Well, because every everything on, on uh, in the wide receiver is no specifically what? team no, team directed. Oh, it's a it's a copycat league. It's a copycat league, and and you know you you, you got the Patriots. Yep. You know pre murder trial <laughs> with, with two of the with two of the biggest and best tight ends in the league, and you know everybody's like that works. I want that. Because you can't line up, so you can't. You, it's matchups. Yes, okay? exactly. It's a game of matchups. Yep. Slow middle-aged linebackers or, or defensive ends trying to cover these mammoth tight ends. And even when you get into a position where where a strong safety or a free safety has to cover Gronkowski, forget it. No, it's not happening. Nope. Aaron Hernandez pre-murder spree. I, I say. Well, pre- no, he apparently no, already apparently committed already, him. So. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. It's, it's pre-charge. Yeah, yeah it's so pre-charge. pre-charges. <laughs> so pre-charges, Aaron Hernandez, he goes out there and he, you know, but he, when he was on the field, he, they literally moved him out to the slot receiver and the wide receiver position because he was so dominant at what he did. And they're not slow and dopey anymore. No. They're not the big, dull, they, blocking. That's ben, all they're good for. Ben Coates was the start of that. Ben Coates. Ben Coates was the start of that. Shannon Sharp. Yep. Oh, okay. absolutely. Shannon Sharp. Um, then you have now. Look at what. Look at the blueprint that uh, 49ers are putting together. Vernon Davis. They have Vernon Davis out there, who is legitimately their most dangerous threat. You. You mean it's not Crabtree? Uh, I apologize to everybody except for Texas Tech fans for him saying that. Just <laughs> saying. Loud mouth son Red of a... <laughs> I digress. Red Raiders rule. Um, but no, when you have Vernon Davis. Is the he's is he great over the middle? Yep. Is he great in short yardage situations? Yep. He's great spread out. He's great spread out. Is he is he great deep? He is the most legitimate threat on that team. And oh yeah, by Absolutely. the way, he's listed in the in the in the handbook as a tight end. Yes. So now when you took that and you created that, okay, you 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 saw that proliferation all throughout the league. It's a copycat league. You simply cannot have in today's NFL, you cannot have everybody go. Look what Seattle did. Six foot two, six foot three, six foot four, two hundred and big, two hundred and physical pound. You know, good hands, fast. And you know what? You know what was their downfall? And we're okay. talking specifically about their We're secondary. talking about playing within the rules. The C, the, the Seattle Seahawks defense, captained by by Richard Sherman, mm-hmm. figured out a way to operate within the NFL's ever changing rules. And made it work, and still found their spots where they could pop that guy. Still find their spots where, where they can, you know, contest, you know, contest that deep ball. They worked within the parameters of what the NFL set, and be, because that worked, and like you said, it's a copycat league. They're like, no, we can't have this. We simply can't. We can't have, have this. So let's make it even tighter. Are you kidding me? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that even and 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 Seattle was more than willing to take two, three, or four. Uh, defenseless receivers, hit to the head, fines, whatever, all season long, 
they were they were willing to take those penalties all season long. Okay, they were willing to take those penalties all season long, three or four times a game. Okay, now, but what happens if the defenseless receiver, the unnecessary roughness, the the crown of the head, the all of these other things? Okay, what happens now if the NFL officials? Maybe we don't know about what else they were talking about. And they got together and said, the first game of the season with Seattle, you called 19 penalties on their defense. That's an exaggeration, but seriously. But call seven penalties on the defensive backs and see what they have to do for game two. If they go up and play the same way, they need to make sure that this copycat league doesn't copycat the most dominant defense the NFL has seen since the Ravens. And by the way, I think that one of the things that we should do is we should qualify Richard Sherman. Whenever you should say Richard Sherman's name, you should say Richard Sherman, widely regarded thug, and Stanford graduate. Second in his class. Second in his class. I think he should, he should have a name as long as With Dumbledore. With a full workload yeah, from, <laughs> from this football team <laughs> yeah. and double sessions <laughs> and, and ridiculous practice schedules and the playbooks <laughs> that he's got to learn and everybody else's playbooks <laughs> in his division. Still ended up second class in Stanford, but he's a thug. The, he's a punk. The, Go ahead. And, and I don't like him. I don't like his shtick. I don't like his act. I don't necessarily like the way he plays the game. Do I want him on my team? Desperately. Absolutely. Desperately. Absolutely. The only thing this guy hasn't won at this point now is like the Order of Merlin. So, or an MVP. He'll get there. He'll, oh, he'll, he'll have a defensive MVP before the end of the year. Now, they've decided that they're going to take this, these rules and they're going to now enforce even more ferocious rules against the defense. So guess what, 2013? We hope you liked your offensive records and your time in the limelight because it's over. Now, can you think of any reason at all why the NFL wants to make the Arena League look up like a bunch of pikers? Why does the NFL want to outscore the Arena League? Talk to me. Thoughts? I, I couldn't even begin to tell you why. Okay, the Arena League is not a competitor to them, okay? Not in the same atmosphere. They're not, dude. I, I use Arena League only in as an example of ridiculous scoring. When you have 60 okay. points in a game. So, all right, okay, wh- all right, all right. NFL, so you're not talking, okay, I got you. So why is the NFL, like, seriously going out to now take 2013's records of the highest scoring season you know what? It, you know what it has to do with? What? The most boring thing on this planet. Your, Your fantasy, fantasy team. team. Absolutely. Yeah. Why do you think they have Wi-Fis in the stadiums? That's uh, They don't have it there so people can listen to their radio app. Okay? They do it because they want people checking their fantasy scores. They want people going on social media, putting the pics up there, doing all that stuff. They want more passive fans. They want Sally, Tom, and Jane, who are the basement of your fantasy league. You all have them, guys. Admit it. You all have them on your team who are such a mediocre knowledge of NFL. But you know what they do? They'll turn on the TV on a Thursday night to watch their running back play. And you know what's more exciting than watching your running back play? Him scoring touchdowns. Now, or your uh, wide receiver scoring touchdowns. Yeah, because when we talk about scoring, right? And, and, and now, one of the arguments that I've heard against this, okay? And, and, it was the, the, and I forgot where I actually heard this, but this is not an original thought of mine. But somebody said, well, you know, you can, you can just simply, you know, you can, you can make a score a million to 900,000 every week because you can make it for yards. And da, 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 da. Let me ask you a question. As a fantasy football player, and we both are. I'm, the, okay. I'm a commissioner. You're a commissioner. Yeah, you've of, been a commissioner. Uh, yes. 
yeah. of our leagues. We've been in. I've been in literally a fantasy football league, one league for so long. We actually started kept it on, on paper. paper. Yep. Okay. So with that, do you want to see your guy bust off a a ten yard run for ten points, or in all seriousness, a four yard run with a touchdown for the exact same ten points? You and Every other fantasy fan out there wants to get the touchdown. See, it's funny because me, I always want the yards first. I want those yards. You know, and and if you're in a league that does it by receptions, blah, 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 that's all well and good. I'm not going to get into that. Yeah. We'll dissect fantasy football on another day. Well, without a doubt. But I'd rather see the dude bust out um, big, huge yard gains and then get right close to the goal line. And have my quarterback running in for a sneak, or give it to uh, you know, give it to the backup who I ha- happen to have, and him running in for a touchdown. But again, that's us. Uh, we we've been doing this fantasy football thing a lot more. Yeah. But it's the passive fan. They watch foot. They watch in the Thursday night game. Given this, and this is a great point to make, and I, I'm you, you're on the exact right point, right? So say so say just in in, in this exact point with with scoring. So say somebody gets a point for ten yards. Now, do you think that Tom Dicker Jane, who's this most unbelievably passive football fan who knows like team colors who drafts based on who they read about they know yep. that tom brady is married to giselle Bunchen, so they draft tom brady yeah or they know like they've heard stephen ridley's name so they'll draft him oh i recognize because, that name let's put him on there exactly um, Big, but i don't recognize adrian peterson's name so i'll draft I'll stephen ridley go. first yeah i'll let him now, go do you think that that person wants to see a 60 yard run if they're getting they don't one, care one point for 10 yards Okay. Do you want them to get a 60-yard run where they get the six points? Or, or, or a one-yard or, or one one touchdown run. Yep. They want the one-yard touchdown, touchdown run. And so it's in the NFL's best interest to get scoring, 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 because they've got this new fan base. Oh, yeah. Period. And they're buying. They're consumers. They are. They're out there buying the jerseys. My, my own, in my own household. They're getting the Sunday ticket. Yes, we're getting red zone. Like and red zone. If if red zone doesn't tell you the story, okay, red zone TV doesn't tell you exactly what the NFL's marketing to. And by the way, with all this criticism aside, there might not be ten minutes of televised football I miss this year. Of course, I, I, I may not miss of ten course. minutes of televised of football. But we watch it for different reasons. We do. Then then the passive fan that we're discussing here. Yeah. And uh, red zone football. Red zone on, on whatever. It's fantastic. It, it's great, isn't it? Even the ticker now on ESPN. Forget red zone. Even the ticker now is telling you your fantasy leaders before they're telling you the damn scores of the game. The NFL app on the Xbox One allows me to, honest to goodness, allows me to program in my players. And I can play yes, a game it will and track watch them. my Absolutely. players tracked in the yep. sidebar. Because if you don't have time to watch, they'll give you the information. They'll still give me the information. Absolutely. And this has gotten to a point. When do we get to that point of, one, maybe diminishing returns where the points get so ridiculous and the defenses are so outmatched that it just sucks? Yes. The product absolutely. Um, we know that we can't hit the quarterback anymore. Yep. We know that. Yeah, the, you, can't hit, you can't hit in the knee area. You can't hit above the shoulders. If your hand even grazes... The helmet. The helmet. It's a 15-yard automatic first down, even though it was probably a bogus, busted play that you worked hard for. You happened to, your thumb happened to touch his, his face guard as you took him in the chest. That's eh, a 15-yarder. Yeah, 15-yarder. Yeah. 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 And uh, then you have this, uh, you know, you have all of these rules that continually, every year, every year, they chip away, chip away, chip away at the defense's ability to play this game. And every time they figure out a way around it, 
they squash it. And and you know you brought up a good point because Pete Carroll his his bread is buttered by being a defensive coach. Absolutely. The the beauty of what his team has done, and and this is coming from a person who d- dislikes Pete Carroll. I don't like his. It, I, there's virtually nothing I like about the Seattle Seahawks. I don't even like their fan base. Okay. Pete Carroll's bread is buttered as a defensive coach. And that guy is a defensive genius. And he went and went against everything imaginable when it came to creating a defense. Everybody had small, fast, lightweight cornerbacks. And he said, no, no, no. Legion of Boom. I want guys like... like I want... What I look for in a wide receiver is what I want in a cornerback. What I look for in a wide out wide receiver. Yeah, wide, oh yeah, wide yeah. out. Yeah, what, what I what I have like I need a guy. He the, what, the small. I want a guy six four. I want a guy six five. Okay, and two hundred and thirty pounds and fast and deadly. Yep. Over the in, yep. in the context of football. Yep. But uh, with, but smart, smart. They're not looking for the quote unquote thugs. They're not looking for that. They want that smart football player with the size to control his body. Even and if not he can't control getting, his mouth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Touche. Yeah. Um, um, but, yeah, I mean, that's what they're looking for. They're not looking for dumb, you know, uh, enforcers. They're not looking for the goons. If you were handed, if you were handed on a draft sheet, Richard Sherman, okay? The guy's name's Richard Sherman. You know nothing about this guy. You've never heard him open his mouth once. Second in his class at Stanford, you know, whatever his GPA is. His one-to-lick score, I would be fascinated to see. I, I don't think the, the cornerbacks take the one-to-lick. I think that's quarterback-specific. No. Yeah, that, yeah, that is quarterback-specific. But you look at his 40 time, then you look at his physical stature. If he's not a top 10 overall draft pick, you're not doing a good yeah, job. Yeah, you're not doing your job. You're not doing your job. And <clears throat> that is the crux of what happened this week at the officials' clinic. They've, again, gone and sunk the scalpel in deeper to the defenses and started to neuter them even further. And, and that's going to work for the majority of the NFL teams. That's going to work. It's not going to work for a team like Seattle. They Trust me, you'll see it bear out throughout the season. They are going to find a way around it and they will still be successful and they'll still be hitting hard and they'll still be one of the top defenses. So there's probably only a small handful of teams that are going to be okay. When I look at when I look at the NFC, okay, and we'll call it NFC specific. And let's talk about the let's talk about the top 5 teams say in the NFC right now. We have to say Seattle's number 1. Seattle, San Francisco, um, you got uh, Green, Green Bay, Bay, you got uh, New Orleans. New Orleans, yes, thank okay. you. Okay. And then we kind of have that like we have that fifth spot. Well, you got Carolina that's that's improving no, every year. Uh, now, nah, well, but, no, they are. But see, we but, don't know what to do. But, but Carolina is improving. Yes. But then you have Chip Kelly's offense that's getting tweaked a little bit in the Philadelphia. Yeah, he got tweaked last year too. How'd that do for him? I, I don't know. I want you to go back and if you look at the, the statistics that their quarterback. And by put the up, way, and their fat, their their speed to the line wasn't any faster than than numbers that would be putting up in the hurry up offense by other teams previously. They were actually surprised that they're like, oh, wait, it wasn't as fast as we were all going to thought. No, they think it was this new idea about this hurry up and, and rush into the line stuff. It already existed. Well, no, you know, one of the things that this has been, this has been a longstanding thing. Like, you, do you remember, like, the old-fashioned, you know, just, do you remember the wishbone? Yes, of uh, course. Right, of great. Course. The reason why the wishbone simply doesn't work 
in the National Football League is that the plays are too good. That's why the Wildcats... Ends are too fast. <clears throat> the ends are too yeah. fast. The outside linebackers are too quick, and the yeah. safeties can come up and cover too fast. Yep. Okay? Now, the reason why something like the Wildcat pops up, and then it sticks for a year, maybe two... Until, until again, Copycat every, League. Everybody goes, wait Miami minute, Dolphins, oh. very successful. They were even successful into the second year of doing it, but... They actually got out of it before other teams did. Now, an interesting hybrid of that, of the Wildcat and a traditional style NFL offense, is the pistol. Yep. And the pistol is now being run by Seattle. Go ahead. It's being run by Seattle. It's being run by the 49ers. It's being run by Cam Newton. It's being run by the Washington Redskins. With these athletic, fast, well-minded quarterbacks. Yeah. Every single one of the quarterbacks that we're talking about right now. Notice how we didn't include Archie 3 in that. I, I well, I, I did say the Redskins. Oh, you did. I, I did. Now, I, I think that his. I think that he's a good quarterback. I, I, I think he's. Do you? A good athlete or a good quarterback? He's a good athlete playing quarterback. Okay. Thank you. All right. Good. He's a good athlete playing quarterback. He's still under the impression. He now this kid went to Baylor. Okay. Again, not a dummy. Not a dummy by any. But at the same time, he didn't necessarily go to a, a, a team where. Uh, even uh, uh, he didn't go to a place where he could rely on everybody else to win games for him. For him, he's now in the NFL, and he's still kind of stuck in the mentality that he has to be the guy who has to go out and win football games for his own team. He's got a team behind him. He's got a, he's got a relatively good team yes, behind him. Yes, he does. Him. You talk about that Alou that you came on the, that third or fourth game last year. Um, their running backs are remarkable, and he still won't go out of bounds. Oh God. Emmett Smith survived. If I was a Redskins fan, I'd be beside myself. If I was a Redskins fan, I'd want his understudy, who was also a first round draft point. I mean, I'm sorry, a Washington fan. Yeah, and today is going to be the day, by the way, uh, again, July 23rd, 2014, that Eric and Ted's Ice Cream Social will no longer say the Redskins. I'm not sure about that, Ted. If it slips out, you have to put a dollar in the swear jar. Yeah, well, then I'm going to bring a 20 spot. (laughs) That's a conversation for another day. I'm not. I, I'm not in that rowboat with you, buddy. I'm. I, I'm. I'm in it. Okay. I'm in it. That's all right. Coming from a Dallas fan, it is. And I got my Cowboys hat right here on the table to prove it. Yeah. Now, uh, so what Eric and I are going to do right now is we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back. We have a couple of more topics for you. On the way back in, we're going to talk about the Boston Red Sox second half of the season and a couple of other surprises. And again, for you. don't forget to check us out, EricandTed.com. So, what day is it today, Jasper? Tuesday. Wrong! It's NWA day. No, no, absolutely not. It's alright, I've got it under control. Help the police coming straight from the underground. A young chap's got it good, cause I'm brown. And not the other colour, so police think they have the authority to carry out inquiries. I don't mind, cause I ain't the one for an excellent policeman with a badge and a gun to be reasonably arresting. And thrown in jail, we could go toe to toe in the middle of a sale. Having lots of fun, cause I'm a teenager. With a little bit of gold and a pager, searching my car. Looking for the biscuits, thinking every chap is selling bits of chocolate. You'd rather see me writing with a pen than me and Lorenzo rolling in a benzo. Go swim. With Lorenzo. And when I'm finished, bring a yellow tape to take off the scene of the sack race. Thank you very much for the bread and water. I don't know if they naughty or what. Such a chappy down and grabbing his hat. And on the other hand, without a hat, they can't get none. But don't let it be a black and a white one. 
Cause they'll tickle you until you're giggling Black police having fun with a white cup Ice Cube will entertain All the local bobbies in a blue uniform Just cause I'm from the CPT Nice police are nice to me ha! A young man in a hot bar And when I'm finished There's gonna be a party Of cops having fun in LA Yo Dre I got something to say Help the police Help, help, help the police Help, help, help the police and that, Jasper, is more or less the way it is in the hood. That's Adam Buxton with Help the Police. Yes, a classic. <laughs> I hope you all enjoyed that. All right, and welcome back to Eric and Ted's Ice Cream Social. Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm still Ted. So, as our lead-in indicated early on, like we need to talk about something that's near and dear to our hearts and very relevant to where we are right this moment the second half of the season for the Boston Red Sox an inauspicious uh, statistic from the beginning of the season is the Red Sox lost 20 games 20 games in the first half by one run one run last year at this time that was certainly not the case no we we won a lot more of one run games last year uh, than uh, than this year of course but uh, but yes, that is an alarming stat. 20 losses in one-run games just in the first half of the season. So my question to you is, going into the next half of the season, I won't talk about the games back. I'm going to leave that to you. My big question is, do you have guarded optimism? Do you have your New England pessimism? Do you have a complete and total faith that they're going to turn this around and they're going to make a run for it. Talk to me about where you think the Red Sox are, where you think they're headed, and where do you think they end up at the end of the season? Well, as a, uh, as a Red Sox fan, we're all used to the guarded optimism. We're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Now, that has changed a little bit. We have won three World Series in the last ten years. How many is that? Uh, that's three dead. And that's since the turn of the century? Yeah, that's since '04. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. You remember winning four straight games against the Yankees? Oh, was that in never, never been done before. Yes, yes. So, so three World Series championships in ten years has calmed us down a little bit. Okay. However, it's always that guarded optimism. Okay. We they've had some tough times this year. Everybody's underachieving when it comes to the bat. Slew of guys batting mid two hundreds. Some even lower than that. We're not really used to that. In the bottom of the league, in runs scored, not very used to that. You haven't seen that from a Red Sox team since 97. Okay. Being in the bottom on, on runs scored in the American League. That being said, we've seen a resur- uh, you know, surgence of, uh, of better play. We've started to see the yeah. power numbers go up. Yeah, so you know, they're, they're, starting, you're right, they're starting to get those key hits that would run us in scoring position. Uh, you know, our guys are starting to hit, uh, you know, for power a little bit more. Um, you know, Ortiz is starting to come around just a couple of days ago, you know, in, a, in the middle of a little bit of a slump there. Still got the power numbers, still averaging over, th- for, uh, you know, on pace for over 30 home runs and over 100 RBIs, which is all you can ask from a DH. But he says uh, just a few days ago, right after Sunday's game, mm-hmm. uh, which was a win, mm-hmm. he said that he was about to get hotter than Jamaica in mid-July, okay? <laughs> and then proceeds the very next day to get two home runs, 
So he hit two bombs the and then, day after he says that. Right, and then yesterday he hit another one. And today already uh, hit, a three, yeah, hit a three-run blast. So four home runs in the three games right after he said he was going to get harder than Jamaica mid, uh, in mid-August. Now, but, and that's all well and good, and Stephen Drew started to hit. We're starting to see these bats come around. Now, our pitch has been there all year. All year our pitching has been there, for the exception of, uh, of PV, who only has one win, the poor bastard. But he has gotten the worst run support in the league, period. We have this history here where um, we've had this conversation in the past ourselves. There's always a pitcher for the Boston Red Sox that has that snake bit, no run support thing. One year it's Petey, where he kept losing. Uh, Pedro Martinez kept losing games three to two. Wakefield kept losing games. Lackey last year. Lackey last year. Poor guy. I know. I, I mean, for, for, for any pitcher that would have gotten 20 wins on that team. Yeah, at least, eight, yeah, at least 18 wins on that. Yeah, I completely agree. Absolutely. This year it happens to be Peavy, but I think that's his ticket out of town. It, it is. Absolutely. Unfortunately, that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. The guys are not hitting for him. And I'm talking about him only giving up a run or two and just not getting anything in return. So I would even put it even worse than last year what happened to Lackey. He's got one win, Ted. And he's not pitched that bad. So... That's going to drop his value down considerably. However, because of the fact that he actually hasn't been pitching too bad, we probably will get something somewhat decent in return. Uh, you know, whether it be a young prospect, an aging veteran, somebody that uh, needs to unload some some cap space, we'll take it on that kind of deal. So hopefully, we get something in return for him. But do but we witnessed Peavy's last start last night. Right he will now, not pitch for the Red Sox again. Right now, Peavy's sitting at an ERA of four point seven two. Not spectacular. No, it's not spectacular, but in a, in a hit his league, it could be a lot worse for somebody with only one win. But he's already had 100 strikeouts just after the All-Star break. His walks and hits per innings pitch, his whip numbers, 1.43. Again, not great. His not op- bad, not terrible. His opponents against batting average, though, is 273, and that's just a little too high. That is, now, yes. The update on him, most recent update on him, is uh, he dropped to a dismal 1-9 on Tuesday, giving up five earned runs on eight hits. However, two of them were home runs. And that was after holding them to, to three hits and one run into the sixth inning. And we had, at the time, I believe, six hits, seven hits, actually, and zero and runs. We hit into, what, four double plays? Yeah, it was absurd. All right. But, but so, so you can see how the wheels can come off. I mean, you can only hold on so long without getting any run support before it just goes off the rails. And that's what happened in the sixth inning. Went right off the rails, and they started just shellacking him. When's the trade deadline as far as... So this is it. So is PV's next start... Or does PV have another start in the Red Sox? I, I don't believe he does. I, be, I, I You know, obviously, there's two different trade deadlines as the non-waiver yeah. trade deadline and the waiver deadline. Because my thought on this is that, like, so, all right, fine. If we're getting a good three, four, five innings out of PV at the start of a game, is our bullpen good enough to where... So say he does get a little bit of run support. If the Red Sox turn it around, they're starting to swing the bats a little bit, and you know maybe, you know maybe the Red Sox do start giving him a little bit of run support. He a good enough locker room guy to keep around. We know he's a great locker room guy. He's a great locker room guy, but um, I mean at this point we got enough locker room guys. Yeah, we got rid of we got rid of Przinsky, the consensus overall most dick player in the in, in Major League Baseball. But you know what? That's on us for signing him. We knew what he was. We, we knew what he was. Yeah, nobody so, can be a dick in the major leagues for ten years without everybody then, knowing. Right, he's a and dick. Then, exactly. And then all of a no, no, he didn't. Uh, he didn't change his stripes. But we got rid of him, and all of a sudden, you know, the team looks like they're having more fun. 
they're, they're getting they're getting hits. They're getting run support. You know, they're starting to come together again. Like I said, Drew, Drew's bats coming around. Thank God. But then again, that was just his spring training. Dude came in cold. So now the spring training's done for him. I think you're going to see a more consistent hitter. But again, we're not here to talk about Drew. We're talking about the direction that the Sox are going in. Okay. I believe, from what I've seen, that if the Red Sox keep hitting anywhere close to what they've been hitting, there's going to be trouble in the, in, in the American League East. So who do we got on the top of the uh, wild card race right now? Um, Seattle up by eight, uh, eight games, I think, right no, now. We're back. We're back. Well, you know what? We lost last night, so I haven't checked it since last night. Uh, but uh, we were six back of the wild card. Okay, and we have uh, before and last night, and seven and a half for the for the division before last night. And before last night. So when we're looking at uh, Baltimore in in the front of the division, a lot of younger players. We have Seattle, who is again some good core talent. We know that they have King Felix, who's a world beater. We know that they have Robinson Cano, but they have a core of young players there. Uh, I was listening to a former Red Sox player, former Providence Friars baseball player that no longer has a, a baseball program. I was actually listening to a guy named Lou Maloney this week. And one of the things that he was talking about was uh, young teams have this tendency when they start to realize that they're good. Um, either start to believe it or start to get real nervous about the position that they're in. And I think one of the huge advantages that the Red Sox have is is the Red Sox veteran leadership. Now, with Baltimore in first place in the AL East, yep. where do we stand in the wild card race as of right now? Well, well now we got the you know the two wild card spots. So we got, you know, the Angels, you know, locking up right now in the first wild card spot. They're behind Oakland, so Oakland's winning the division out in the West. And then you got Seattle, which is, you know, six, seven games under Angels, but still the wild card is the wild card now. Doesn't matter. So we are five and a half back from the wild card. Not too bad. For as poorly as we've played, to mm-hmm. be only five and mm-hmm. a half back of the wild card mm-hmm. and seven and a half in the division, are you kidding me? We, that's, that's awesome. And we're getting better. That's why I am cautiously optimistic. Because I still know, eh, you know, seven, eight games is nothing to sneeze at. But everybody else isn't, isn't lighting the world on fire either, Ted. And see, that's one of the things that's kind of got me a little bit, uh, I guess, a little bit wishy-washy on this one. And I'm, I, I hate to be flip-floppy on this, okay? But yeah, flip-flop away. Well, we have six games left against, uh, against Baltimore. Yes. Okay? We can make up space against Baltimore because, frankly, the Yankees are going to end up coming in and helping us out a little bit. They're not out well, of it either. Exactly. As we okay? all seen in the AFC East, when it comes down the to A-L-E the A-L-E end there. of it, we beat each other up. What I say, AFC, I'm sorry, yeah. AL East, we beat each other up. So we're going to get a lot of help, like you said, from the Yankees playing the Orioles. And, and even the Blue Jays are going to spoil us. We, we also have three games where Seattle comes to Boston. Yes, we do. That's massive. Coming off a road trip, too. We already looked at the schedule for that. Yeah. So it's going to be a tough go for them. So then I think then, then, then I guess the postscript question to all of this, the subtext to this is, do you think that the Red Sox are in position to control their own destiny? Oh, Absolutely. Uh, at this point in the season, um, again, even after all the crap that the Red Sox have been through so far and just the awful hitting, we do control our own destiny. We're not waiting for a team to collapse, okay, like we've seen in years past. You know, yeah. we've seen it where we are hoping the Yankees fall on their face and, you know, get an injury. And hope we're not, we we're... can catch them in September. Right, exa- yeah. exactly. That conversation is not happening in Boston right now, believe me. That conversation is not happening. 
we're worried about ourselves. If we handle business and we take care of business, we will be in one of those wild card spots. If not, you know, overtaking the division. We need to handle what we need to handle in-house in Fenway Park, at home, what we could control. Okay, then is how crucial then is right this minute giving John Lester the peace of mind of a long-term million dollar contract to tie him down, lock him up. If we don't trade him, mm -hmm. listen, if we don't trade him, he walks. That's not going to happen. We are not going to be sellers like some people think we're going to be at the trade deadline. John Lester's not going anywhere this year. They've resigned themselves that if we're not getting him signed, we lost him for nothing. Then we're going to lose a marquee pitcher to the Yankees, by the way. We're going to lose him to the Yankees. Okay? Because bottom line... He's he's going nowhere else. Nobody else has given this guy 150 million. Oh, I, I don't know about that. I've seen right. crazier things have happened. I've seen it. Those low market teams that aren't paying anybody anything and then just go out and blow their water on one guy. I can see that happening. However, yeah, I think you're you're dead on. The Yankees. John Lester's going to be a Yankee. Absolutely. And 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 the problem with this is this is is if he goes to free agency now he could talk. He, we know he wants to be here. We know. However. Yeah. No matter what he says, if he hits free agency, we've lost him. Yeah. Because we will not be able to compete. We are not willing. Willing. Thank you. To compete you. with the Yankees' ridiculous spending. We've talked about them before with, uh, with, with Jacoby Ellsbury and with Johnny Damon, how the Yankees competed only with themselves and just overpaid. Mark right. We're not A-Rod. going to drastically overpay like the Yankees are going to overpay. So if he goes to free agency, unfortunately, he is lost. So the question is to me, do we go and just put out a fantastic deal to him, have him sign now? I would hope so. Do I see that happening? I don't think I see that happening. It's killing but me. do I think he's worth $22 million a year for five years? He's sure. 30 years old. Sure, but no more than five years. Uh, I can't. Well, do you do four years with a club option? I don't think he's going to take it. I don't think he's going to take it. If they offer him four, we've lost him. Is it the amount of money that he's getting or is it the amount of time that he's going to be with us? Because if you gave him $25 million over four years, so you gave him think, $100 think, million dollars gave him a with a team option. option. For the, for the, uh, um, yeah. I now, mean, but you have to hit that $25 million. But again, I know he wants the years. I know he wants the years. And, and he's already jaded from, uh, for us coming up with a very, very weak offer. Four years and seventy million. Now the Red Sox uh, stand behind that and say, "Well, that was a starting off point. We weren't thinking that wasn't take our offer. It. Yeah, that wasn't our real offer. But but why start off at that, Ted? No, I, I that, why that, start that... off at forty and seventy? Now I understand what players mean when Pedro always talked about the respect, respect. That's disrespect. Listen, but we're also talking about this is this is Ben Charrington's first time at the table. Okay, now Ben Charrington, I'm going to give with a marquee player. Listen, okay, I'm going to give. In 04, right, everybody talks about Theo in the trio, but i got to give Dan Duquette a ton of credit for Oh, 04. of course. All right. Oh, of course. I say 07 was a lot more Theo's team, although it Manny was, was still there. Yeah, but it was Theo's team. It was Theo's team. 2013, that was definitely Theo's team. Yes. Okay? Yeah. Now, Charrington's got his chance to sit down at the table with the marquee player with the big contract. Well, Theo wasn't the one that brought in Napoli and Gomes. Let's, no, let's no, call I, a spade a spade. I, Those guys were very... I, big part of that championship I, run. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. But the heart of it, we know. We but know. just like I got to give Dan Duquette his, Dan Duquette his his due 
credit on 04. I got to give Theo his credit on on, uh, on, on 2013. That's fine. Okay. So here's here's Charrington sitting down at the table for his first big deal. And okay, he stepped in it a little. A lot. Uh, 4 and 70. Okay. Okay. He stepped in it with a guy who won. 17 million. He hasn't been a world beater, okay? He hasn't been the ace, okay, that we fully expect. We expected him to be a 23-game winner by now, and he's not going to be that ever, okay? We all expected that. He's a lefty who throws gas, and he's got four pitches. So we expected this guy to be the one, two, or three. One, two, and three is basically the Detroit Tigers pitching rotation. So he's not there. We know this. He was good enough to win the World Series. Uh, uh, I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you say that again, and then take it back. John Lester won the World Series. He was our. He was our primary pitcher. Uh, so I so mean, if, John, you're gonna be, so, if you're gonna play semantics, because you clearly, you clearly don't believe that. I mean, he put the team on his shoulders, and John Lester is the reason we won the World Series. So you know that I don't mean that. So so let's stop with the the semantics. Uh, well, I. Because I was just curious about John Lester's batting average during that World Series. Because like that's what I'm talking about. You're talking to me about well, how well, John Lester I mean, won the World Series. He didn't Series. strike out. Oh, John Lester won the World Series. That's what you just said to me. So how am yeah. I supposed to take it? You're supposed to take it by how it's intended. And you know that. You, you know that. He was a big part of that pitching staff. He was our ace. End of story. That's the way it is. Now, is he getting 23 wins a year? No. I am thrilled that John Lester is a big game pitcher for us. He's the best he big game. He is big ga- Exactly. He's the best big game guy that we've had since Kurt Schilling. Yeah, in the playoffs. In the playoffs. Okay? That, that, and I, by the way, when now, I, I expect big games for me are the playoffs. Yep. Big games for, for Red Sox fans, big games are the ALCS. Big games are Game 7s. Big games yep. are the World Series. Yep. Big games don't take place in September for us anymore. No, okay? no, not anymore. We're not we'll, that we'll team that. anymore. Nope. Okay? Let Oakland be that team. Yep. Okay? The Boston Red Sox are not that damn team anymore. Yep. Okay? And so I want John Lester taking the mound. And I also want John Lackey taking the mound. Okay? Oh, absolutely. I want John Lackey absolutely. taking the Absolutely. By mound. the way, John Lackey, who's a pitcher that's going to have to play for 500000 next year. $500,000. I think that the smartest thing that the Red Sox could do is a good faith offer of giving him a big extension with money. Exactly. Okay. Wiping out that year, extending it, give him another three. I see because he is getting old, dude. So three years at forty-five million. million. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's exactly the yeah. number. Fifteen okay. million. Six one half yeah. dozen the other. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. But again, Lackey's another topic. They need to go out and give John Lester or offer John Lester more than twenty million a year, less than twenty-five million a year. And at least four to five years, but I don't want to see them go over five years. I don't. They can't. They simply can't. They because, could. Well, no, no, no. Because we're not the Mets. But they could from two thousand four. But that's okay? not smart. That's not. That's not good okay? business. We don't do that. No. Okay. We talked about last week, and if you listen to us last week, this is going to come up again. It's going to come up repeatedly. That this, and we don't necessarily say things like the Patriot way, but the Bill Belichick model of of players. You use them until they've attained their greatness, and let them go while they're still pretty great. One year early. One year early. That's it. Let them go one year early. Okay, John Lester has three good years left in him. Okay, this guy's a power arm. He's a horse. Yep. This guy, he's a lefty. But you don't think you sign him for four, and but you I trade do. him? I do. And, and, and I don't think you he need wants to trade four. him. You trade him. He wants. The- of course, he wants to end his career in Boston. 
God bless him. It, it says something about the city. It says something about the organization. He's made it abundantly clear he wants to stay right where he is. But he's not a fool. If he's got to go play for the Yankees to get that five or six year deal at 20 to 25 mil a year, he's going to do that. And be the next Mike Mussina for them? Sure. He'll be good for them. He would be good for them. And that kills me. I, and, that and, would and make listen, me sick. That the, would make the, me the sick. Thing, and and when, we talk about, when we talk about Red Sox two Yankee defections, okay? There's ones like Jacoby Ellsbury where we, we were just coming off a World Series. Yep. The third one in 10 years. We were just coming How off many? the World Series. That, that would be number three. Eric. Okay, just checking. We were just coming off the third World Series in 10 years. And by the way, that's why I have somewhat of a pragmatic attitude toward th- this season. Like when they were losing the one-game runs, the, the one-run games, I'm sorry, and, and we were talking about the season, I kept kind of saying to you, like, geez, man, you know what? I was so surprised, so pleasantly happy with the World Series run last year that, okay, Go to Fantasyland for a second with me. If somebody came to you, the baseball gods, which we all know have their unwritten rules and their crazy shit. Oh, yes, of course. Okay, If the baseball gods come to you and say, listen, I'm going to give you a World Series championship every five years. During the ensuing four years, your team might suck pretty bad. But you can have a World Series every five years. 30 teams in the majors. 30 teams take it. Maybe the Yankees don't because they're going to gamble. But every- well, that's because they're arrogant beyond all means. If everybody out there thinks Red Sox fans are bad, self-entitled arrogance since we won our World Series, take a look at the Yankees fans because they're no, much no, worse. No, no, spend time. Oh, don't. No, with- I wouldn't. I wouldn't wish that on our listeners. Fine. I would it, not. No, you, you're right. I would. You're right. Doctor Salk uh, cured polio. The Red Sox have cured the Yankees so far. Yeah, this, exactly. This, this century. Yes. It, the, the Yankees are a pariah. Yeah. But you know what? This is funny. And I'm going to say it, and, and we, we begrudgingly say this. There are entities in sports that sports are better for having. Baseball is better with the New York Yankees in it. Absolutely. One, because we hate them so vehemently. And I mean, Major League Baseball isn't near as popular as it is without the Yankees. Yeah. Notre Dame football. It's a necessity. Necessity. Yeah. An evil necessity. Yeah. Rudy. Rudy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but going back to our point, and particularly with a guy like John Lester, yes, I don't want to see him walk for nothing. But at the moment, I don't see the Red Sox as sellers. Right. Well, they at the moment, period, period they are not sellers, period. Okay. They're not sellers. That's not going to change, Ted. Okay. Not going to change. All they right. are not sellers this year. As soon as they closed out, as soon as they closed out the last series, I know we walked uh, before the break. I know we lost, uh, lost that middle game, but we ended it on a win and then swept the Royals. Took the first game of the series here, lost fourteen last to night. one. As soon as it right, fourteen to one. Soon as that happened, we were off the market as far as being sellers. Even if we lose tonight and you know lose the next game, we're not sellers. We are going to make a push for it. Those the the people in that locker room haven't given up. The majority of the knowledgeable Red, Red Sox, Sox fans. fans have not given up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think you think Ortiz is going to roll over? You think Petey, who's oh. in the middle of a, of a drought right now, who by the way opened up the game with a single? Do you think he's given up? No. Pedroia, you could you could grind his legs off with an angle grinder, mm. and he would pull himself out there on his elbows. Yeah, and, and still hit for average. And still hit for average. 
So, no, they're, they're not sellers. We are going to make a run at this. Lester's not going anywhere, and we'll see what happens in the offseason. Oh, it's a great way to end this segment, Eric. All right, Eric and I will be back in a few minutes. Take a listen to this, and we'll see you in a few. the segue Hall and Oates. Oh, yes. Welcome back to Eric and Ted's Ice Cream Social. I am Eric. And I'm still Ted, and that's Hall and Oates with Your Kiss is on my list. There's a reason why we decided to go with this, because we're going to end this with one of our regular segments, at least for the next four weeks right now. Uh, we think it's very important that everybody knows how much we revere our sports celebrity and the guys who are real gamers, lunch pail guys here in Boston, New England. Yeah. So right now, we're going to give you the list of 10 players on the Boston Red Sox who we would buy a beer for. Or never have to buy a beer in this town never again. Never have to buy a beer in town again. <laughs> All right. So here is the top list. And Eric and I are going to talk these out a little and bit. this is off the cuff. Well, there's probably going to be some scratching and kicking. But we will round out this list. <laughs> We're going to give you the 10 players on the Boston Red Sox throughout the history of the Boston Red Sox that never have to buy a beer in this town again. Ted, give me one. Right off the top. Yes, sir. I am going with the one guy that is gonna that better be on everybody's list. My number one guy who never needs to buy a beer in this town ever again. The original dirt dog, Trot Nixon. Of course. You can't argue with Trot. Now, he might not be a household name for most of you. But everybody in Boston sure knows who the hell he is. That guy's hat was... That guy was the only guy who could get mud on his uniform playing on artificial turf. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to follow that one up. Okay. Okay. With... <laughs> you know, I've taken a lot of flack over the years. Oh, boy. I, I, uh, I've always had a soft spot <laughs> for this man. And, uh, and I tell you, it does not get much better than this. And that's my buddy Timmy Wakefield. Oh, Wakes! No, yeah, Wakefield yeah. never he, has to buy a beer. In never, this town again. never has to buy a beer in Boston again. Now, when Wakefield gave up the home run to Aaron Boone, do you know what his big fear was? Go ahead and tell us, Ted. He was going to be the next Buckner. Never happened. Never happened. Every single person, every fan, felt for that dude from the instant. Uh, immediately, mm-hmm. immediately when that ball went out. Besides saying Aaron bleeping Boone mm-hmm. was 
That I wish it didn't happen to Wake. It shouldn't have been Wake. Exactly. It, it, it wasn't his fault. He was putting in those innings. He was helping us. I mean, it's just one of those things. We never, for once, faulted him for that loss. Never. And so, so he's 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 my number two. All right. So number three on this list, I'm going to propose a name for you. Uh, now, might not necessarily be on the front of everybody's list. Absolutely needs to be a guy who was on the list, though. Uh, Dwight Evans. Dwight Evans. Okay. Okay. All right. I can't really argue with that. Now, the reason I'm putting Dwight Evans on this list is this is one of those guys that when you watched him play ball, he never took a playoff. Hurt his ribs in the 86 World Series yep. trying to catch a uh, uh, rob a home run ball. Yeah. And stayed in the game. This guy, he did everything he could for this team from the day he signed. And so I got to keep Dewey on my list of the 10 Red Sox who never have to buy a beer in this town again. Okay. All right. Throwing it back. All right. Um, again, unconventional. You know, not the, not, not the top guys you would think. Kevin Millar. Unbelievable Cowboy choice. Up. Yep. Okay. Kevin Millar. I'm going to go with this. Give me the greatest quote from Kevin Millar's life, uh, from his career in For Boston. For me? Yep. Say it. For me, it's... Don't let us Don't win tonight. Don't let us 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 win tonight. Because then we got Petey going tomorrow, yep. right? Yeah, and then, and then we got Shill. We got Shill. He's a gamer. In Game 7, anything can happen. That's it. Don't let us win tonight. That's all I'm saying. That's and, all I'm saying. And by the way, now that you've said Kevin Millar and I have written down as the number four person we've mentioned, yes. this list is in no particular order. No, no particular order. Okay. That's, yeah, Kevin Throwing Millar. Throwing it back to you, brother. Unbelievable. Great choice. Now... I have to go with the most obvious choice, okay? It's, I, I, I got to do it. Well, if it's obvious, it's got to be on the list, so might as well throw it out there. It's got to be Poppy. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Like, this guy, how many... In, in 04, 04, the, the extra inning games, the, oh God. The, the quote, I just told them, get on my shoulders. The pep talk during the playoffs last year that literally seemed to turn the team around, Okay. And not to mention, this is our fucking city. Oh, this this is our fucking city. And are you depressed? <laughs> Don't. So David Ortiz, you got David Ortiz. I'm putting on Big there. Poppy on okay. my list. Okay, now I'm going to take one from yours from last night. And we, we talked about this last night briefly. Okay, but I absolutely wholeheartedly agree. And it's for one play and one play only, and it will be a play that will forever. Be remembered by every Red Sox fan, young and old. Mm-hmm. And that's Dave Roberts. Dave and Roberts. That's the steal. Yeah. Okay. Dave Roberts was on my list. And I'm going to put a little aside mm-hmm. Bill Miller. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because. Wait, are that you was together. Another game? He, he's, no, I'm not adding another name. Okay. Right. Okay. I'm putting him in parentheses. Okay. Because he's the one that put that right up the middle. Right up the middle as Mariano was trying to kick save the damn thing mm-hmm. and brought him in. And if you recall earlier this year when we were celebrating that team mm-hmm. who was sitting on video side by side with each other, thanking the fans and, and, and telling how much they enjoyed the time in Boston. And that was Billy Miller and, and Dave Roberts sitting together talking about this. So I put him as a pair, although Dave Roberts is my main guy. Now, Everybody in the world knew he was going to steal that base. And I'm talking including bang, bang, including, the pitcher, including the catcher, Mariano, the first baseman, every, the Everybody. <laughs> And, and and to steal that base and that's such a big moment, huge moment. Ah, God, I get, I've got goosebumps right now, dude. Goosebumps. Right. So give Dave me, Roberts. Yep. Give me a number seven. 
my number seven. I'm gonna call him the throw-in. Okay. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to uh, I'm gonna go back to the past a little bit for you. I was riding, how far back you want to go back? Way back. Way back. Well, I was uh, driving over the situate reservoir, and the uh, news came over that the Red Sox had made a trade, and my partner here, Eric was actually out visiting his father in the lovely state of Washington, about 3,000 miles away, and I gave him a call, and I said, we just traded Hanley Ramirez for Josh Beckett. Josh Beckett. And ah. th- but they threw in. Threw the, in. The throw in on the deal. As seen by the rest of the country. Was Mike Lowell. Mike Lowell. And Mike Lowell is number seven on my list. Absolutely. And I remember. World Series MVP. World Series MVP. And do you remember that was his contract year? And during the parade, there were people holding signs, re-sign Mike Lowell. And he got to finish his career in Boston. Yes, he did. With his bad hips. Everything. And that guy never buys a beer in Boston. Never have to buy a beer in Boston. That's a great choice. Great choice. Number eight for me. Okay. I mean, it's easy, so I'm gonna I'm gonna you say it. it. Yeah, it, it's easy. I threw poppy it's on a, it. It's a no brainer. Okay, and that is Pedro Martinez. PD. appointment rub- viewing. Yep. I remember as a kid sitting under a mango tree. I couldn't rub two nickels together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Next words yeah. out of my mouth. I know it was. I couldn't enough for bus fare. I couldn't. So everything he gave to this town, and again, like I said, appointment viewing. You don't understand people. You don't understand unless you've had that passion for a team and you've had that magical guy. You don't really understand appointment viewing. It who, was an event. And by the way, every who, time Pedro when, took them out, when he he had originally come up it, through the uh, Montreal Expos system. Oh, you mean the Major League Baseball's farm team? Yeah, and well, and as he was coming up through the Montreal Expos, everybody kept looking at him, going, "He's too small. Too small. He'll never be able to never. do it. His body can't handle it. His arm can't handle well, it." One of the funniest things I ever saw about him was he was talking <laughs> about his uh, fastball, and you remember his fastball. You know, he was, when he was hitting ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight, it wasn't his fastball that was killing guys. It was his change. Yes. That would drop 30 miles an hour off of his fastball, yep. but the motion right was the same. Right off the radar. And now he was showing how he throws it. And he said, but now when I throw the fastball, and he had that thick accent, he was talking about when the ball snaps off his fingertips, he hears the threads snap off his fingertips. Yep. And it was like the most fascinating insight into a It was picture. like a beautiful mind. Yeah. It, it, seriously. <laughs> like, it was yeah, savant-like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and De- now, definitely hit the seams. And now he is with the Red Sox organization helping young pitchers. Yes, so he is. Yes, he is. That's a new, he worked for the organization, and we love that. Now, number nine is coming back to me. I'm the odd number here. And speaking of odd numbers, now this guy wore an even number, but oh. this guy wore an even number. We have an odd number here. The only reason I'm saying that is because when you're left-handed and you're Polish and you're watching baseball as a kid and you see a guy in front of the green monster whose name sounds like the alphabet soup, like every other relative that you have that barely know, call your Stremski. Call your Stremski. <laughs> From the 69 team. The, the, there's... 60s, 70s, the 80s. My second game I ever went to, he had a triple. And it was a straight, natural triple into the triangle. And it is literally my first Fenway moment. Call Yastrzemski, never has to buy a beer. That guy, he shouldn't even have to pay cab fare in this town. Call Yastrzemski is going on my on the list. Okay. All right, you ready? And I'm glad that I have the privilege... For number 10. 
because it allows me to put this man on it. I'm going to tell you a story. God. Midway through 2004. Mm-hmm. I see you going back to, the, you know, the... I am. It's an 86 years. Go ahead. Huge. Yeah. Okay. I'd say about mid-July. A, shall we say, arrogant, elitist, top-level baseball player gets plunked. Sounds an awful lot like um, number 13, third baseman for the New York Yankees? Yes, sir. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Keep going. He gets plunked. Okay. And he takes issue with it. Starts yelling at the pitcher. <laughs> okay. Yeah, go figure. Yeah, right. Yeah, how dare you? Mm-hmm. And this man takes his mask off. No, what? left his mask on, remember? He, the first hit was with the oh, mask on. No, sorry, okay. sorry, sorry. Mm-hmm. Walks up aside, saddles him even. Herding him down yes. toward first base? We don't uh, just walk to first. We don't throw at, uh, at Battis hitting 238. <laughs> That's right. We don't throw at Battis hitting 238. And he proceeds to shove his catch's mitt right in the fucking grill. Excuse my language. We don't swear often. Right into that smug, purple face that purple lip oh, hamburger helper glove said that hamburger helper slapping sally <laughs> slapping sally i tell you and he shoves it right in his grill and and that's what they refer to as the turning point and that is on the cover of faithful a great book by stephen king and Stuart nan Stuart nan so if y'all don't know who that is by now i'll let you in on a little secret his name is the captain jason Veritech, number 33. Acquired from Seattle. From Seattle. Never has to buy a beer in the town of Boston again. And with that, friends, we're going to sign off. And if you have anybody that you want to add to the list that you think that we might have left off... Message us. Throw us a message. Our website, ericandted.com, has got a comment section. You'll find our podcast there. You can always do it on Facebook as well at... Facebook.com slash Eric and Ted's Ice Cream Social. And you can also hit us up on Twitter at Eric and Ted ICS. And spell out the word and, please. No ampersand. No ampersand. This is the ampersand-free zone. (laughs) So, and again, thanks very much for taking the time to listen to us. We are Eric and Ted's Ice Cream Social. I'm Ted. And I am still Eric. I took your line. And we will see you on Sunday. Some things in life are bad They can really make you mad Other things just make you swear and curse When you're chewing on life's gristle That grumble, give a whistle And this'll help things turn out for the best And always look on the bright side of life Always look on the light side of life If life seems jolly rotten There's something you've forgotten And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing When you're feeling in the dumps Don't be silly chumps Just purse your lips and whistle That's the thing Ain't always look on the bright side of life Always look on the right side of life. For life.
life is quite absurd And death's the final word You must always face the curtain with a bow Forget about your seat Give the audience a grin Enjoy it, it's your last chance and out So always look on the bright side of death piece of shit when you look at it. Life's a laugh and death's a joke, it's true. You'll see it's all a show, keep them laughing as you go. Just remember that the last laugh is on you. And always look on the bright side of I said they'll never make that money back. Oh.